If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, we will again be looking at Galatians 4, starting in verse 1. And we'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as you've given your words many years ago, they're still relevant today. And I pray as you spoke in the past, you speak to our hearts, Lord. You give us a measure of maturity, a measure of understanding what you would like us to take away from these verses. And I pray, O Lord, that you use my lips wisely, not unwise. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 4. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather that he be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You may be seated. Again, as we wade into the deep waters of this book of Galatians, I think we're making some headway now in uh, chapter 4. You know, Paul, the big issue with Galatians is these Judaizers has taught the Galatian people that it had to be the, the work of Christ plus works of their own. Works according to some of the Mosaic law. That was the big issue Big issue for salvation. It was workspace plus Jesus. And Paul now uses an example, analogy, to bring the point home. The point of the Roman heirs. What he's trying to do is just clarify the sufficiency of Christ. That's what this all points to. He says, I, I mean that heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. You know, the Romans had set rules for their children and for their slaves. There was a lot of adoption of slaves at that time, and they would become heirs. They'd be the adopted children in the Roman families. The, role, the rules were pretty much the same for the children and for the slaves. 
but they were not considered heirs until they were considered adults. And that occurred when they were 14 years of age. Before that, they were treated as children under the rules and regulations rules and regulations that they had no part of putting in place. Once they were considered adults, there would be a ceremony at the age of 14. They would give up their childish clothes and they would now wear a toga, which was the dress of an adult. And that way the family but also the community would recognize these people now as adults, at 14 years of age. And they would be accepted as an heir to the household's property. Again, until that time, they didn't have the privileges. They were enslaved by the rules and regulations. The best was yet to come, the future, when they would be heirs. And it tells us in verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. You know, the Jewish people were under the law. They were in their rules and regulations. And the ceremonies that pointed to Jesus. However, the best was yet to come. The future. The law pointed them to their sins. Ceremonial law pointed to the solution for those sins, the reliever of those sins. They lived as a people of promise, a promise that was coming, a Messiah. There would be a fulfillment of that promise. And saints, we are far better off. Because we have seen that promise. We understand that promise. In Matthew 11, 11, it tells us, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We're in the kingdom of heaven when we came to faith. So the least of us is more privileged than what John the Baptist was. We've seen the promise come. Think about that. How blessed we are as believers. Greater than he. Greater than John the Baptist. In all this, we must understand, Paul never negated the law. 
He never said it was null and void. It was also misuse of the law that the Judaizers were saying. It's got to be Jesus plus. Jesus plus works. You know, and Paul lived that route. I brought this up last time in Matthew 11.11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Paul understood where he was going when he was following the wrong leadership, the wrong interpretation of the law. He was dead spiritually. But did he say the law was wrong? No, he said, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. It's the misuse of the law that enslaved Paul to the elementary principles. Again, Paul never dismisses the law, and we as a people must never dismiss the laws of God. Again, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Again, Paul has been using this analogies. He's striving and striving to convince these Galatians not to go back to the elementary principles they were under, to enslave themselves to where they think they can earn salvation, which is impossible. They wanted to go back to people waiting for the promise when the promise was already there. And now Paul, he takes a little misdirection here in this book of Galatians, and he kind of gives a Christmas message, you could say, in February for us. Because when we do look at these next verses, I remember, What brings to mind is that Christmas carol, What Child Is This? And Paul answers that. He says, But when the the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So what do we see in these verses? The fullness of time had come. Paul is saying the fullness of history, when everything was in place to begin the church, to begin the incarnation, everything was ready at that moment of time in history. Peter tells us the prophets searched the time out in First Peter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, 
things into which angels long to look. Peter is saying this was prophesied. Angels were looking to see it this time, the fullness of time. It means this was planned out. Plan A. Planned out by the Godhead. No plan B. This was the perfect hour, the perfect timing, the fullness of time. Everything was in place. So if it was that time, that perfect timing, that God, what made it so? Why was it the perfect timing? What was happening? Well, politically, it was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, the peace of Rome. And because there was peace throughout the Roman Empire, there was more funding for infrastructure, for roads. And the people were allowed to travel freely throughout the empire. That would allow the gospel message to go forth more freely. God had prepared the nations for the expansion of the gospel. Again, there were funds available to build five major highways in Rome. Then all the other smaller roads. Many of these roads went to the port cities. With traveling easier, it prospers a nation. You know, in, in uh, our state, Milwaukee, big community, harbor town, port town. Watertown was a, a commercial junction because of the river going through it. But to get goods from Watertown, Milwaukee, was perilous at time with wagons before the railroad. If it rained, the roads were muddy. Fields would be flooded. So if you had crops that would rot, especially in the fall, they could set out for Milwaukee, get a few days of rain, and there they'd sit. So they built the road, the Watertown Plank Road, made out of white oak hardwood planks from, here, from Watertown to Milwaukee. A toll road. But it prospered Watertown and Milwaukee because it connected them and they could go all year. It was used successfully until the railroads got going. But imagine that. Plank road out of White Oak, because White Oak doesn't rot between Milwaukee and Watertown. As I know, years ago, they'd do construction. They'd still dig up some of those planks that were still solid. But what happened in the Roman time with these roads and everything and the people traveling and prospered businesses, they could get their, their uh, goods to the ports. They could get things coming back from other countries. Remember when we studied Acts, how Paul would take these ships, they'd be full of grain and other goods 
There was huge commerce going on. There was trade throughout the whole known world. And that trade had a cultural effect. It brought about the Greek language as being the standard for the means of communication, for religion, philosophy, commerce, literature. People were making more money. Easier transportation, people were prospering. However, though, many times what happens when the people prosper, they start forgetting about God and their religious responsibilities. We know from the scriptures that the Jewish religious system was in shambles. When Jesus spoke about the leaders, he said they were doing the work of their father, the devil. They have strayed so much from the truth. They were being unwise. The Roman system, the pagan system, had this time of great value, peace, prosperity, which led to decadence. A lot of vice going on. And any pagan system, system that is not according to God's word, comes to an end, comes to its fullness, which is destruction in the end. And what was the saying of the Rome at that time? Oh, the people wanted bread and circuses. You give us the food, and you entertain us, and we're happy. Productive went down. Productivity many times go down if you give people handouts, much like our nation today. However, there were a remnant of God's people who were looking for the return of Jesus or for the coming of the Messiah. They knew that truth would be coming. So the fullness of time was politically, culturally, religiously, and economically at its best possible position for the Savior to arrive. A desperate need to return back to a true religion. The second point, born of a woman. Now this points us to the Son of God's humiliation. Think about it, the creator God voluntarily entering into the realm of his creation. Born of a woman, born of her substance, making him fully human. That's why it says later places in scriptures, he understands our humanity, our problems, our difficulties. But also he has two natures. The human nature and the God nature. And that remains to this day. You know, the genealogies in the Bible, it says, well, they're born of Jacob, born of Noah, born. It's always the male. And here Paul says, born of a woman. The 
the people would understand right away, born of a virgin, as prophesied by Isaiah and the other prophecies concerning the birth of our Lord. They would understand that God the Father caused the conception, was the Father. Born under the law. Again, we see our Savior's humiliation. Jesus was born as a servant to the ceremonial laws, which were all pointing to him. He was also a servant under the Mosaic laws, which he needed to keep perfectly, which he did. He was being prepared to be the perfect sacrifice. All planned out by the Godhead to take place when? But when the fullness of time had come. Now who determined? Who decided when the fullness of time had come? Let's go right back. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Later on it says to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Here we not only get who decided the fullness of time was ready, as God the Father, but also the reason why Jesus was sent at this time to redeem those who were under the law. Remember, Moses was sent to redeem God's people, which pointed to Jesus. The Passover saved the firstborn. The price for redemption was placed on hold until the true Passover lamb would appear at the fullness of time. But for Jesus, there was no protection. There was no blood on the gates that protected him. He was slaughtered. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus was the perfect sacrificial lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 8. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And in 1 Peter 1, 19, knowing that you were ransomed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Notice this 
is right in line with what Paul is teaching these Galatians. It's all about Jesus and what he did. He is the lamb without blemish, without spot. What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All plan A. No plan B. All planned out by God the Father, the perfect sacrificial Lamb who suffered for us. Jesus got the raw end of the deal. It's our sins. And Hebrews 2 tells us, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. In Revelations 5, 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures And among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It's all about him. And later on it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you are slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Paul is describing this child to the Galatians to prove that what he had done was sufficient. The ceremonial law pointed to Jesus, and that law had completed its mission. It was null and void. And if they went back to it, it was a sinful practice if they said we had to do this for salvation. Jesus released us from spiritual slavery. Why would we enslave ourselves again? Why would we think that doing anything can prove to God that we're worthy of salvation? This is what I mean by we have to be mature. We have to see beyond what our feelings are, where we feel somebody is so much holier because they're doing something, like I mentioned in the past, the guy, all he did is eat oatmeal. Or the guy who sat on the pole, Sarah looked it up, they had one guy who sat on the pole for two years and having people serve him, bring him stuff. I mean, any mature Christian can figure out, like I said, Six days you should labor. What about all the efforts of the other people that had to take care of this clown sitting up there? If I was one of those people, I would have sharpened the pole. We can't get emotional. We have to stick with God's law. 
What child is this? Matthew 1.18. Now, the, see, we're doing a little Christmas message anyway. Let's do a little more. Now that the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. In all these verses I've been reading, have you seen where it says Jesus plus the Mosaic law? Did Isaiah say Jesus plus any man-made laws will bring salvation? Let's look a little more at Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to death. Part of plan A. God put Jesus to death as part of the plan. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see the offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many to make intercession for transgressors. Do we see the Mosaic law mentioned here? Do we see wearing the right clothes? Do we see sitting on a pole? We see the work of Jesus when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied to the knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Yet he bore the sins of many to make intercession for the transgressors. Jesus was God's perfect plan. A brutal plan for him it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Plan A. Plan A. God's law is perfect. God's ways are perfect. There is no plan B. But you know what? We're part of plan A. Each and every believer is part of plan A. Just as he planned out Jesus' life, he's planned out our lives. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us. 
for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It was the will of the Lord to crush his son at the fullness of time to bring about our salvation for sin. It is the will of the Lord while you are sitting in this pew hearing this message while you have turned your life over to Jesus Christ because you're part of plan A. And because we are part of God's plan A, that must give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. Yeah, we're going to have difficulties, Jesus did. It doesn't mean it's not part of God's plan. Where we fit and what happens in our lives according to Christianity, that's between you and God. But just remember, you should have the assurance that you are under God's plan A. No afterthought. You're here in this church because God wants you here right now. You're hearing this message because it's part of God's plan. And his plan is that we should all mature. That he who started the good work in us will complete it. I'm confident that he will. Irregardless of how emotionally we can get strayed, go back to God's word and his promises. Go downstairs and grab some books. You'll read all about the assurances of God and the wisdom he has given saints in the past for our benefit. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we look at this Galatian church, I think sometimes we can see parallels in our society, in our churches. Bring us maturity, Lord. Bring us discernment. And also give us the boldness of Paul to stand up what is true and holy and right. Teach us to love you, Lord, and be your people in Jesus' name.